The month of October here in the States is designated as Family Month. So for the five Sundays of this month, we're just going to be exploring different facets of the home and family, uh, as well as what it means to be a part of the family of God here in the church. And this morning, being Family Commitment Sunday, uh, we're going to talk about raising kids without losing your religion, okay? Now, if you've already decided, well, I'm not a parent, Uh, I've never been one, I don't anticipate being one, or I've been one and that stage is long since passed in my life, uh, I don't need to listen. I can just check out. Uh, Well, you're wrong this morning. You might be an aunt or an uncle. Uh, You might be a friend that's actually closer than family members. The principles from God's word, regardless of the theme of the, of the sermon, the principles of scripture apply to all of us in a variety of ways. Besides that, you are a son or a daughter to someone else. It will give you understanding into what parenting is like and who knows how you may help parent other children down the road. And you are a part of this family, this body of believers here. And I mentioned to you a little bit ago when we were having the commitment aspect of our service that you and I have a responsibility to be good witnesses, to be good models, to be good mentors to the kids and the youth who are part of this congregation here. Do not, do not dismiss this as light because they will look at you and if they see in you and if they see in me some inconsistency, it may be a burden to their walk with Christ. Besides that, we can all benefit from biblical truths at any age or any stage. So, if you were about ready to take that sleeping pill, don't you do it, all right? Besides, why would you take a sleeping pill in church? Sermons are natural sleep aids. (laughs) Habit-forming, but natural sleep aids nonetheless. Comedian Ray Romano said, having children is like living in a frat house. Nobody sleeps, everything's broken, and there's a lot of throwing up. Parenting runs the gamut of emotional experiences. There are failures and successes, fear as well as confidence, sadness and joy, disappointing moments and victorious moments. We can be rational, logical, and objective about most other things in life, but when it comes to family and our kids, it's really hard to maintain objectivity. When our oldest daughter, Emily, was born, Elsie and I were brand new to this parenting business. We were in the hospital, and and Emily developed some jaundice. Now, for both Elsie and I, that was a little bit of uh, fear in us, but the lady in the bed next to Elsie, who had also just given birth, said, oh, don't worry about that. A lot of babies get jaundice. It's just fine. So we kind of relaxed about it. The next day, her baby got jaundice, and she went to pieces. You see, when it's, when it's somebody else's kids, you can be a lot more objective. When it's your kids, objectivity goes out the window. There's something about being a parent that doesn't compare to any other aspect of life, not the least of which is some spiritual insight that grows out of that parenting. Experiencing the birth of your child, holding that child in your arms for the very first time, knowing at that moment, maybe the first moment ever that you've experienced that you would willingly lay down your life in a heartbeat for the safety of that child, gives you more insight into the heart of God who gave his son for us than any other aspect of life. Consequently, Who do you think has some of the best advice on parenting? Well, it's the Heavenly Father, of course. 
There are a whole lot of passages we go to. I, I can't even begin to plumb the depths of everything. I'm just going to kind of scratch the surface to, just to give you some reminders of, of what's important when it comes to this role that we call parenting or grandparenting or helping parent children in our midst. We're going to use uh, Colossians 3, 20 and 21 as a springboard into the message. It reads like this. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Verse 20 is the parents' favorite verse. Verse 21 is the children's favorite verse. Both have been quoted in our household of the past, and not always in times of peace, I might add. There's a similar passage, as Paul points out, in Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, Paul writes this twice. There are other passages of Scripture that say much the same kind of a thing. It is because the church is trying to lay down what kind of a godly role parents have. Now, remember, this is godly parenting. Obey your children in the Lord. You see, the heart of verse 20 and the heart of Ephesians 6, 1 is obedience. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it really interesting that Paul places the responsibility here on the children, not on the parents. He doesn't say, fathers, enforce obedience in your children. He says, children, always obey your parents. Paul knows there is a vast difference between coerced obedience, and willing obedience. Paul is reminding young people to develop the spirit of obedience with their parents so they can better understand willingly obedience to God. Now, this makes perfect sense. Children who grow up under a harsh or abusive father, when you start talking about God being a father, you can visibly see them recoil from that kind of an image. So the image that we give as parents to our children impacts their image of God. And so when, when Paul says, children, learn to obey your parents in the Lord so that you will learn to willingly obey your heavenly Father, whose commands are just as vital, more vital than what your parents are offering you. Now, obedience comes more naturally in the early years, but as children grow older, there, there are more obedience battles. John Ortberg asked the question, he said, who has greater contentment, a man with seven children or a man with seven million dollars? Answer, the man with seven children because he doesn't want anymore. <laughs> Parents joke a lot about raising kids because humor is a way to relieve the stress of the battles of obedience. Now, if you're a son or a daughter living at home, if you're a child, if you're a youth, if you're a young adult living at home under your parents' roof, will you please give me your attention for a few moments? This word obey is not voluntary. It is mandatory. It comes from two other words, which means listen under, as in listening under your parents. It means to hear and then do, and it also carries with it this concept of doing what you're going to do with the right attitude. Now, that's, that's a heavy load that Paul lays on us here when we're growing up. Obey your parents, listen to them, do what they tell you to do, and do it with the right attitude. 
Someone said, learn from the mistakes of others. You won't live long enough to make them all yourself. You've heard that before, but that's what Paul's talking about here. Kids, listen under your parents. Listen to their words of wisdom. They've made mistakes. Maybe you can avoid some of the ones that they've made if you'll listen and do and do it with a positive attitude. Now, there are no such things as perfect parents. When you start raising a family, it's on-the-job training. You're going to make your share of mistakes. So kids, if you think your parents have made mistakes, they probably have. No parent is perfect. But I will tell you this, they have your, your best interest at heart. So I'm going to give you four reasons real quick why you should obey your parents. Number one, because parents stand in the place of God to their children. Now, by that, I don't mean that parents take the place of God, though at times your dad may act like he thinks he's God. It is really this concept of parents are God's representatives in the family. When the president appoints an ambassador to go to a foreign country and that ambassador speaks, he or she speaks with the full authority of the United States. It's as if the president is there speaking. That's the role of an ambassador. And God gave this role to parents. Parents are God's ambassador in the home. And they speak with an authority. You need to listen. Secondly, why obey your parents? Because parents generally have your, their children's interests, their best interests at heart. Don't run out into the road. Look both ways before you cross. Choose your friends wisely. Don't talk to strangers. Don't get into a car with somebody that you don't know. No one cares for you like your parents. These are not to restrict your actions. These are to preserve your life. They're not trying to destroy your fun. They are wanting to encourage your joy, your confidence, and your self-esteem. When you disobey, you will make decisions that may cost you dearly for the rest of your life. Choices have consequences. Parents don't want you living with poor choices and lousy consequences. So listen. They really do have your best interest at heart. When you obey godly parents, you honor the Lord as well. And adults, you listen to God because he has your best interest at heart as well. Choices have consequences at every stage. So when God speaks, listen, do, and do it with the right attitude. Why obey parents? Because the growing up years are short. You don't have much time to learn as much as you're going to need to get you through this life and prepare for the life to come. It seems like yesterday to me when I was holding Emily for the first time, and now I'm carrying grandchildren in my arms and on my shoulders. And I'm thinking... What happened to these years in between? Time goes quickly. And why obey your parents? Because Jesus obeyed his. Though he was the very son of God, he was an obedient son to his earthly parents. Even on the cross, Jesus made provision for the care of his mother. When it was so hard to speak while hanging on a cross, one of the times he spoke was about his mother's care. He was an obedient son. If you want a good role model for what it means to be a good son or daughter, you look to Jesus because he's the best role model for anything in life. 
Now, verse 20 is followed by verse 21, which says, Fathers, do not aggravate your children. In Ephesians, it says, do not exasperate your children. The idea carries with it discouragement. It's the picture of an emotionally beaten down child who could never live up to his or her father's expectations. Now, if you're a dad here this morning like myself, you probably are wondering why this only addresses the father. Why didn't Paul say, parents? He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Where's the mother in this? Some say, well, Paul just assumed the mother. But I'm not sure that's accurate. I would suggest that this verse of warning does not include mothers because fathers are largely responsible for their children's self-esteem. Psychology tells us that. Dads carry a huge responsibility and weight in helping develop the esteem of their children. That responsibility is a tough one that weighs on our shoulders. Something else that's important here, parents, it will be nearly impossible to teach your children obedience if you are not willing to obey God yourself. Children are good imitators, so give them something good to imitate. I do not know who said it first, but it is true at any stage of life. Joy is the byproduct of obedience. Joy is the byproduct of obedience, and it's true. When you learn to obey, you escape guilt and regret. When you follow what God has laid down in his word, you don't end up with guilt, and you don't end up with regret, and so joy becomes the byproduct of our obedience. So parents, if, if we're not going to exasperate our kids, if we're, if we're going to encourage our kids, what are some of the traits that we need, biblical traits, virtues, to help us avoid exasperating and disappointing our children? Well, there's a whole slew, but I'm, I'll, I'll narrow it down to just a, a handful here. First one is simply be patient. I don't know of anything that is necessary in parenting more than patience. It's a tough virtue to come by. And I'll tell you this, I, I think it's harder for young fathers than it is for young mothers. Now, I'm speaking out of my own, my own experience. When I look back as we started being parents, I, I saw far more patience in Elsie than I saw in myself. I don't know if that's just me, I don't, I, but I think it's sort of across the board. Men tend to be a little bit more impatient. They tend to be a little bit more exacting, wanting something sooner. It's a hard virtue to develop. Nobody, father or mother, son or daughter, is perfect at patience. It's just one of those things we have to work at all the time. You say, well, what is patience really? Patience is the ability to wait for a hopeful outcome without experiencing anxiety and stress. It is the capacity to willingly relinquish your need for immediate gratification and be content to wait on God. Patience is the foundation upon which we build our compassion, our understanding, and our acceptance towards those who are behind us in the maturing process. John Ortberg calls impatience hurry sickness and writes that the most serious sign of hurry sickness is a diminished capacity to love. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is one thing hurried, impatient people don't have. Why be patient with our children? Because they are behind us in the maturing process. 
They're not where we are yet. They're not where they need to be. You got to be patient as they grow in this maturing process. By the way, there were those who waited for you to mature that were ahead of you in the process that helped you get where you need to be. By the way, there are some who are still waiting for you to mature as we go through this process. It's a lifelong learning experience. Understand your kids see life through different eyes. They, 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 don't, they pick up on things we don't pick up on. They don't pick up on the things that we pick up on. They have a different perspective. I love these quotes from kids that reflect their perspective. When your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. <laughs> if your sister hits you, don't hit back. Parents always catch the second person. You can't trust dogs to watch your food. Don't sneeze when someone is cutting your hair. <laughs> there's a story there. You know there's a story there. The best place to be when you're sad is grandma's. When our granddaughter Addie was five, uh, she's about six and a half now. When she was five, she was staying at our house on Saturday night. She was, it was going to be a sleepover. She was going to go to church with us next morning. She was going to stay in adult church uh, with us here in the pew. And so before she went to bed, Addie said to Elsie, she said, Gamma, would you fix me a snack for church tomorrow? And Elsie said, well, sure. But why, Addie? She said, well, when they pass out all that stuff, I get nothing. Now, that's a child's perspective on communion. You know, I don't get any of that. Will you fix me? A child's perspective is different than ours. Be patient with the kids around us because they are growing up too. It's okay that they don't have an adult perspective because some of the things they do have, we've lost. And we need to regain. You know, we were young once. We've lost some of the things I don't think God ever intended for us to lose in this growing up process. We could learn a lot from our kids and grandkids. Can I remind you that kids are not naturally prejudiced? They don't see colors or races or creeds. Kids are quick to forgive and move on. They don't hold grudges. Kids love to laugh and enjoy every moment. They see the simple things that we overlook so casually. Is it any wonder then that Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We lose some of the important qualities as we become adults. So being with kids and seeing their perspective helps reshape us. Jesus was never in a hurry. And if we're genuine followers of him, it's a difficult thing to move faster than the one we are following. So when I'm impatient, I have to ask myself the question, am I really following Jesus or did I just leave him in the dust of my impatience? As children of God, we need to exercise patience. As parents of children, and grandparents of children, we need to exercise patience so that love can blossom. Here's something else. Be insightful. Be insightful. The world in which your child or your grandchild is growing up is a lot different than the one you grew up in. It is especially so in my life. In 1960, 
I was five years old in 1960. In 1960, when I was a kid, 73% of all children were living in a family with two married parents in their first marriage. Today, 46%, less than half, are in the same pictured scenario. In 1960, just 5% of all births occurred outside of marriage. Today, more than a third, 40% of births occur to unmarried women. Today, 26% of all children are being raised by single parents, and 15% are in blended families. Today, 5.7 million grandparents live with their grandchildren in their households, and 42% of that 5.7 million are the primary caregivers for their grandchildren. And today, 5% of children have no parents at all. Things are different, which requires us to give some insight into how we help our children and grandchildren navigate the future of this life and the life to come in an ever-changing world. Now, if you're a single parent here this morning, God bless you for not giving up and giving in. Your task is hard. Your responsibilities are multiplied by being a single parent. But I am ever so grateful that you are here. And I hope that with our children's department and our youth department and our young adults department, that we can come alongside of you, that as your church family, we can help you in this process. Do not lose heart. Do not give up. You're doing a good work. If you grew up with half-brothers and half-sisters, a blended sort of family, uh, do you, you need to remember Jesus grew up in the same kind of a household. Do you realize that? Ever stop to think about that? That though he was the son of God, he, he grew up in a physical family, and he had half-brothers and half-sisters. And from what we understand in the scriptures, they did not come to faith in him until after the resurrection. I get that. It's hard enough if, you, if, if the older brother thinks he's the Messiah, but when he really is, that's tough territory. <laughs> it's bad enough when your older brother thinks he's perfect, but when he really is, it's hard to live up to that kind of thing. So if you've grown up with stepbrothers or stepsisters, you just remember the Lord understands that. You keep hanging in there. If you're a grandparent raising your grandchildren, thank you for taking on the responsibility that requires more energy than you have to offer, but a role that will make an emotional, spiritual, intellectual difference, an eternal difference in your grandchild's life. If you have adopted a child that is not yours, bravo. You've done a good thing. You've taken maybe one of those 5% of children who have no parents. And you are raising that child as your very own, which is a reminder that God has adopted us into his family through Jesus Christ. All of these circumstances, from traditional family settings to no family, requires insight on how to make the most of parenting opportunities. Proverbs Chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. It takes time, energy, and insight to understand your child. Someone said, Raising teenagers is like nailing jello to a tree. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that begins long sooner than just grand, uh, through the teenage years. Jerry Seinfeld said, Having a two year old is like having a blender without a lid. 
you, you see, your children come to different knowledge points and, and maturity levels at different times, and, and it requires of you this understanding of who they are. It requires insight into what makes them tick. When Emily was in grade school, she was at that point in time beginning to learn what some of her friends had that she didn't have. And one night in her room, she just kind of blurted out to us and the frustration all came rolling out and she said, I don't have a TV, I don't have a telephone, I don't have a bikini, and I don't have a trash can. <laughs> and we said, we will solve one of those immediately. And I went and got her a wastebasket for her, for her bedroom. What she didn't know, that we knew at that point in time that those other things really weren't good for her, that there would come a day when a TV would be okay for her to have, when a telephone might become actually a necessity in her life as it is in so many of our lives. Bikini was never on my list to provide <laughs> at any point in time. But what she didn't know, we knew there was some insight that comes through parenting that you, you, you realize some things at some points are not good for your children. But parents, it takes thoughtfulness, insight, sometimes a stronger will than your child to keep them going in the right directions. This verse that we've read, while we sometimes think, if I teach them right, they'll come back to what I've taught them. Well, I believe that's probably true, but that's not what this verse says. This verse says, learn how they are shaped. Understand the bent of their personality. Take the time to figure out who your child is, what makes them tick, what they like, what they don't like. Some will be good athletes, some will be great musicians, some will be creative with their hands, some will exhibit people skills, some will find their greatest fulfillment in intellectual pursuits. No two children are exactly alike. You cannot treat them equally. You can treat them consistently, but not equally because your kids aren't equal. And that's what this verse is teaching us, to be insightful parents, thoughtful parents, considerate parents and grandparents, to see who God made them and raise them to be who God made them, not who we want them to be. Because if they become who they are not, they won't be happy, and you won't be happy either. Last thing, be faithful. Proverbs 14, 26 says, He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. Proverbs 20, verse 7, the righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. Paul wrote this to his son Timothy in the faith. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. You see, Paul became a mentor to this young man, Timothy. Paul called him my son in the faith. He called Titus his son in the faith. We are the recipients of the letters that Paul wrote to these young men, and the church is better for what we've learned from them and saw in them as recorded in the New Testament. What a blessing Timothy was to Paul. Do not underestimate your spiritual influence. You do not have to be a family member to have an impact as a model and a mentor in a child's life. Be faithful. Children are watching and listening. Remember, they are good imitators. So give them something good to imitate, or better yet, give them the one who is good to imitate. 
Show them Jesus in every aspect of their life, in your lives and theirs. Incidentally, my grandmother Connor was the first to suggest that I should be a preacher, a suggestion I dismissed at the time. But after 40 years of preaching, I guess she knew something that I didn't. You too know much that your children need to know. Help them see what they can do to love and serve Jesus Christ. Raise your kids without losing your religion because what they need from you most is your faith. Give them Jesus. Here's the bottom line. Do your best to make growing up for your children as positive and pleasant as it can be. Shelter them a bit. There will be plenty of time for reality later on. Protect them a lot. They will know much pain in their lifetimes. Teach them right and wrong. They need to know the truth. They need to see the truth in you. Encourage them always. They will find discouragement lurking around every corner of this world in which they live. Love them deeply. For no one can care for them more than you can care for them. In a world like this, they will discover hatred, bias, prejudice, dishonesty, disappointment, rejection, frustration, and bitterness. Do your utmost to make your home a haven of happiness where they can retreat from all that is bad in this world and once again discover joy, peace, unconditional love, and the presence of the living God. Most of all, give them Jesus, and you will be a good parent, grandparent, family member, part of the body of Christ. Give them Jesus.